0: Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website or Bite Into It's Facebook or Twitter accounts.
1: I'm Ro, Uh, welcome to the show, and we're also being joined via Skype with Vanessa and Mays. How are you this evening? Hello. Good. Thanks, Ro. How are you? Really well. How are you going, Mays? Doing well. Thank you. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, So very, very importantly, um, how's your week in tech been, crew?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, look, it's end of financial year, Ro, so it's uh, probably a little bit more accounting
3: based than I'd prefer. (laughs) I got a new laptop. I've been oh, doing some of these, these little little bits of light, latest purchases. But oh. actually, I'll tell you about my new laptop. It's the new Microsoft Surface Laptop Studio. So um, I, I had a Surface Pro 2. Mm. which I think I got in 2016, and I loved it um, until I started working full-time in VR development, and I lasted a few months, and I was like, nah, i got to get a bloody graphics card. Um, and so I started having – I worked with an MSI um, laptop, and now I've got my big tower at home, which is way more beefy than it needs to be, but <laughs> it's super sweet. point of pride. Well, I was really annoyed that I had to get it because I was working on a AAA game, which was a 750 gigabyte project. Yeah. Uh, yep. So that's why I got that upgrade. Um, but, you know, as travel is starting to open up and I'm feeling a little bit better about getting on a plane, um, it's time for me to get a new laptop. And the new um, laptop from from that Surface line has a graphics card in it. So it's got the GTX 3070 in it um, and it also has a touchscreen. And oh, I nice. missed my touchscreen when I went from the Surface to an MS, MSI laptop um, because it's really good for, well, signing PDFs, it's really banal, but I do it a lot. <laughs>
1: No, that's handy. There is yeah, nothing more excruciating awesome. when you need to sign a PDF and just can't.
2: You know, May's just, you know, in VR spaces, doing <laughs> deals, getting things signed. <laughs> yes.
3: Um, and, and, um, and teaching and things like that, being able to, you know, draw diagrams and, oh, nice. and making that kind of visual learning and stuff. So I'm really happy to be back on my... Um, Touch screen again. But, yeah, um, I'm enjoying this laptop. And uh, it has, like, turned into a bit of a review segment. But um, <laughs> actually the fans, so the, you know, because it has quite a beefy graphics card, cooling is quite important. And so it has two vents on either side. Um, and the vents are about five centimetres long each. And they just push so much air out And it's really smooth because often when Mm. you listen to a fan, you actually hear the little blades Mm. and it goes like tick, tick, tick a little bit. Um, Mm. If it's really going tick, then you need to lube that fan up.
1: Just a shout
3: out to to anyone who's got a fan that's ticking.
1: I was going to say, I didn't know.
3: You can buy a lube for that.
1: I didn't know we were Um, doing a sex tech show. (laughs) (laughs) Long (laughs) overdue.
3: Um, that these fans are kind of like, like, like Dyson fans. They just go <laughs> out and cool. I, don't, I don't know how it works, but I was quite impressed because um, it's still, it's not silent. It's a laptop. It's never going to be silent, but um, the noise is a lot less irritating than fan fans. That's, <laughs> That's great. great. That is a strong review. Yeah. Yeah. I've had it for about. Half a week, that um, three days. I don't know why I said half a week. Um, <laughs> Very but, specific. Yeah, it's going well. Um, oh, that's and, awesome. Yeah, one of my. End of financial year purchases.
1: Oh, well, How I've, about
3: you, Ro? Any splurges?
1: Yeah, I've, I've just done done the old. I've got to um, not very much, but just spend a little bit before the end of financial year through my business. And, um, well, it ended up putting me in the boat of being on hold with the fraud department of my bank for about an hour and a wow. half this morning. No. Um,
2: they're like, this is uncharacteristically. Yeah, they're like, um, what have you, you just know, done? Um,
1: I've bought myself a really beautiful pair of um, custom-made headphones. Um, for sound design and stuff yeah, and they're huge like full over ear because as Mays would most certainly know but anyone who spends a lot of time with headphones on their ears they just burn your ears after a while so these are yep. great big things but they're literally handmade they're absolutely gorgeous excellent quality um an EDM producer that I know, who's based in Ukraine, put me onto them. Um, if anyone loves a bit of hard cyberpunk, check out uh, Ginger great. Snaps. The S is a five. Um, really fantastic. So I've ordered those, but of course um, the maker is in Ukraine and it's US dollars through a Ukraine um, server. Oh, and of course wow,
2: the, the Falcon you are supporting folk ah, Ukraine businesses.
1: You bet I am. Well um, so, um, but yeah, the, the Falcon didn't like it, but we've got it fixed but, up and they've officially been ordered so I'm very pleased <laughs> by that outcome.
3: <laughs> I'm gorgeous. so excited you're gonna to have to bring it to the studio um next no time.
1: Until. Oh It'll I will out. they're gonna be very fancy they're very fancy. That's so exciting. <laughs> I'm horrified. <laughs> That's that's, that's a lot of money. Um, But we've got a little bit of news that we wanted to talk about um, before we hoof in. But um, I guess to cover off tonight's show, we're going to be looking at um, the ripple of all of the implications that are stemming from the Roe v. Wade decision that's been handed down by the Supreme Court of the USA. But more importantly, what it means for tech, what it means for privacy and what it means for Australians. We're very conscious here that, you know, on the show show on at Triple R that we are not America, but um, there are certain things that can catch fire, shall we say, and and spread a little bit. So... um Instead of our usual format of having a couple of guests calling in, uh, Vanessa Mays and I are going to be, you know, deep diving a little bit on that. Um, we're also going to follow up with a little bit of a look at what work from home is looking like right now, um, because some, some tech is starting to emerge and some patterns of behaviour are starting to emerge. Um, so we're going to have a bit of a chat about that. But first, cab off the rank with a little bit of news. Um, there's been a bit of an announcement um, about an Australian retail pausing facial recognition trials over privacy complaints. Um, and this was actually one we were actually a bit pleased to see. So uh, Choice welcomes that the good guys have put out um, a release and a decision pausing the use of this facial recognition um, technology that's being used in stores and has also called on Kmart and Bunnings to do the same. Um, and I will also say that it's been noted in um, big supermarket chains as well. When you go to the self-checkout, if you see a little thumbnail in the screen of your face looking right back at you, this is what we're talking about. So the facial recognition takes a few different forms, but it's basically you walk into that store, they're capturing who you are, what you are, all that kind of stuff. Um, And...
2: Yeah, there's a few types of facial recognition um, being used in in different companies. Um, These ones were looking at um, sort of like facial recognition of you against a mass group to... You know, they're potentially talking about law enforcement. Um, but some of the other systems are, you know, people would be more familiar with, say, one-to-one facial recognition matching on your phone for security. So there's lots of different setups that can be out there. Um, in the in the supermarkets, uh, the, the two major um, supermarkets have said that they're not recording anything from their... Uh, they're capturing of your face. Mm. Uh, I think it's the Woolworths one where you really see that a lot, where you sort of see your face looking back at you. But um, they've said that that one's not being captured. I think they're recording the other one, which is the one that looks at objects and sort of goes, are you round and red and predictably kind of like the tomato that I'm expecting to be scanned? (laughs) Or are you a completely different shape and not the right thing? And, Mm. you know, can it flag it that way? So there's a whole range of things going on, but... What's really nice is to see Choice getting in there, stepping up for consumers and, um, and, and doing a lot of questioning what sort of controls are around these, you mm. know, what, what the breadth of what they're trying to use them for are at a time when we know that the application of this technology is still early days and quite flawed,
3: mm. particularly
2: if you don't look like the majority of the test data, um, white and male.
1: Yeah, ex- exactly, and um, I think it's really key when we are lacking those frameworks. This is a prime case where the technology moves way ahead of guidelines, principles, regulation, all that kind of thing. and mm, safe um, balance, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, you know, if, if we were going to be, you know, really straight 180 about it and say, look, it's probably pretty well-intentioned, you know, a bit of security, a bit of a better customer experience, a bit of this and a bit of that, you know, and and that probably has been the original intent. However, um, it can be dramatically misused and laws can change. So, yeah, really glad to see that. Yeah,
3: laws can change or they can just not even address this at all mm. yet. Um, and that's pretty much just says that it's fine. You can use, use it for whatever you want. Absolutely. And, you know, we see that use of data like, oh, it wasn't intended to be used by police, but it's there, so the police have asked for it now, um, or that kind of thing, without those, without those safeguards.
1: Oh, absolutely. Now, Vanessa, um, you've got a little news item you wanted to chat about. I certainly do. And for any of our listeners who regularly get calls from James from The Wine Group,
2: I think they might appreciate this news. The uh, online retailer, The Wine Group, has paid over $200,000 in infringement notices after ACMA, the Australian Communications and Media Authority, have found it breached multiple spam and telemarketing laws. So they operate under a few names. If you don't remember being signed up to the wine group, you might remember, you know, entering a competition or something run by Oak Road Estate or Top Drop. But uh, you might not remember any of these things because um, they have been accused of sending unsolicited SMSs to consumers, um, including after people have requested to be unsubscribed. They've also made numerous telemarketing calls to a lot of people, um, including those on the Do Not Call register. Um, And then even after people haven't been on that register and have let them know, "or I don't want to be on this call and they try and terminate calls, they have failed to terminate calls and have stayed on a selling script for wine. Um, So it's good to see that ACMA is investigating these sort of breach claims. Um, It's super annoying when people have gotten to a point where they don't answer calls that they don't recognise because they expect telemarketing or scams. Mm, So, you know, it's really taking away basic functionality of something that is useful in emergencies, for example, but also in people's day-to-day, you know, doing business and running their lives. So I think, you know, we can agree that uh, telemarketing and spam have gotten way out of control, um, this is a tiny fine, but... In comparison to in the
1: space. of the scale yeah. of what it could be, absolutely. The problems. Yeah. yeah. I actually saw on Twitter very recently that there was a, a bloke in the USA who was out hiking, got lost, fell down a ravine, injured himself or something, and um, he... He didn't pick up his phone. People were ringing him for about 24 hours before the battery went flat, but he didn't pick it up because he was so conditioned to ignore the private calls that were coming oh. in.
2: <laughs> so relatable.
1: So, the respect yeah. to
2: the hiker. Exactly.
1: <laughs> now, Mays, you've got, um, you know, speaking of irritating companies, you've got a bit of news <laughs> to talk about. <laughs>
3: Yeah, and I remember that we talked about this on the show when the when there were rumours around it and when it wasn't officially announced. Netflix has confirmed that they're going to have an ad-supported subscription tier. Um, for a lot of people, this is going to be the last straw and they are going to turn to pirating. Um, I think especially in Australia, where uh, we're well known for being one of the larger <laughs> countries who, who pirate a lot? Um, Never. I'm going to challenge this a little. I, Because I'm older than
2: some people on this mm-hmm. program, I grew up with ad-supported free-to-air, and yeah. I wonder if it's not the worst model in the world. You know, like if people actually don't want to pay and they're already getting accused of not being able to buy houses because they eat too many avocados and buy too many lattes... <laughs> I just wonder if it might not actually, if there might not be some demand for it.
3: Hmm. of Paying less.
2: No, no, no. Just having, paying nothing and having it
3: ad supported. Ah, well, they yeah. will be paying. They will just ah, be paying Ah, so there's no nothing. Ooh. No, no free. Levels in the detail. Yeah, so there it's an ad supported tier and it will be less. So that is part of why people are also like, well, it will just mm. go up eventually. You know, mm-hmm. like when Netflix first started, it was five dollars a month, mm-hmm. and now it's fifteen or whatever it is. And it's, this is just like Spotify as well. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Wow.
2: Interesting. Steady yeah. Cape. The war for all that content's on as well. So many. It really. You know, is. So many streaming services now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
3: yeah. And I think people are already getting annoyed with ads for content that they have already watched on the platform or or that kind of thing. Um, mm. You know, which. I love when those ads are talked about. Um, when people talk about how smart algorithms or AI is, it's like you're advertising me the phone which I bought through your service, and I'm currently watching the ad on. Yep,
1: yeah, and and you sort of think you I know. hope this cost you a lot of money to put in front of me. Yeah.
3: Just I hope between I'm us, really wasting your money.
1: <laughs> amazing. Oh
3: gosh. Yeah. Oh, my (laughs) gosh. This move does follow, I mean, you know, this is the same news as when we talked about the rumours, but it does follow them reporting a loss, so the first loss that they've had in over a decade for a quarter. Um, So, yeah, we wonder, you know, what even caused that loss? You know, was it spending of their own content or was it people moving away? Um, It's not likely to be people moving away. Um, yeah, I was a bit but, why? Yeah, trying to get
1: more. Mm.
3: Yeah, exactly. Trying to get more of an audience, I suppose. Um, yeah,
2: that idea of being fostered on endless growth and then growth went rapacious during lockdowns. Yeah, uh, and then not revising those targets in sensible, meaningful ways. I think you know, there's some some errors in business now. So there, perhaps.
3: Yeah, I also just wonder, like. You know, you run out of population, surely. Like, yeah, that's right.
1: Yeah, yeah. You can't <laughs> yeah, have so relentless you have to growth change the strategy. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, speaking of change of strategy, Vanessa, you've got another. Little, little new There's snippet a bit for of us.
2: Freud in this article. Um, many people who spend a bit of time on social media would have been inundated with advertisements by a new grocery delivery startup with um, a lactose-based product in the name. So, their milk run. um, They. The ads focused on 10-minute deliveries of your groceries. And, sure, this is something that people have to do all the time if they can do things faster. It's another gig economy type of um, situation. Mm. But uh, there they are out in the market really, you know, competing with your car delivery services who expanded into grocery deliveries and food deliveries Mm -hmm. over the last couple of years um, predominantly. And... It was kind of funny because they've realised they can't deliver things within 10 minutes in Sydney. This is one of the problems they were having. And it's just like, yeah, there's some real logistical issues in the way Sydney's kind of laid out and just, you know, the services you've made available by line of sight versus you've got waterways in the way and you just can't get across <laughs> there that fast and that sort of thing. So there's some real logistical challenges, which is sort of sympathise with. But um, what's Kind of crazy is to see this race to the bottom, this discounting race between them and their competitors right now, trying to squeeze each other out of the market. Yeah. Um, don't like to see it. It's it's not great and it makes you really worry about how the employees are being paid. Um, well, if sure. Sh-
3: employees, you know, well, yes. right. uh, yeah, yeah, most exactly. of the time they're not. And, you we were discussing yeah. before the show that Luck has been trialing employees, but. Only some, I think, the total amount of employees at Menulog is only 21 across Australia mm. and New Zealand. Um, and, yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's a whole lot of different things that have happened with those employees that is making yeah. it look like it's not going to work.
2: So we take a lot of interest in these these people who are running their businesses through the apps and through, you know, um, decentralised workforces running their own versions of the apps and getting very limited amounts of information on which to, you know, make decisions and take
1: jobs or not take jobs. So mm. I'll keep an eye on this. Yeah, and, uh, it's just a, a little curiosity. Absolutely. Another little item that people are keeping a very close eye on is uh, ye oldie Bitcoin. So whether you've invested in Bitcoin or not, you certainly uh, is a bit of a battle to avoid hearing about it. And Obviously, the value of Bitcoin has been dropping quite a bit, but the value drop isn't all bad news. We're finding as the price of Bitcoin has nosedived, so has its energy usage. So between June 8 and June twenty fifth, Bitcoin's annualised energy consumption dropped from to 132.87 terawatt hours. So to help put that into sort of perspective for our listeners, it roughly equates to the annual power consumption of Argentina. And that I'll repeat between June 8 and June 25. So it's a (laughs) really tiny window. It's one financial instrument and it's sucking up so much energy and so much power. And it's just, you know, absolutely dreadful for the environment. So I mean, you know, mm. the old value of the bitcoins going through the floor, but um, looking on the bright side, I'm sure the trees are quite grateful. I've put a died few
2: bucks Bitcoin in it years died. ago and um, <laughs> it was purely as an experiment and I've left, you know, those few bucks there. And I just feel like, oh, my gosh, if we'd had an ethics committee for me to get through before I put that in, it never would have passed muster. <laughs> no, like, The things that we didn't know at the point when it was all all being hyped. Very um, yeah. interesting. Crazy, even crazy. trying to figure out how to get your money out of some of those wallets can be quite tricky. It's just like,
1: how do I do that again? Oh, absolutely. I'll take a research weekend. Yeah, I have friends who have a hard drive with six Bitcoin in it and uh, no password access. <gasps> so no. just no um, words, no words.
3: <laughs> My mum was telling time. me about um, someone she spoke to who has their Bitcoin on a hard drive in a lockbox in a bank fancy
1: that wise very wise
3: <laughs> yeah let's just lock it to it's turn falling on falling back on the bank no bank solution again that's
0: hilarious hi this is Vanessa DeHolka thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It a weekly radio show exploring tech news broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne Australia every Wednesday hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Triple R's website or Bite Into It's Twitter or Facebook accounts
1: in a nutshell, in the US this week, the Supreme Court in a 5-4 decision overturned Roe v. Wade, which is the landmark ruling that established the constitutional right to abortion. Um, We know that this is expected to trigger a cascade of newly active state laws. In fact, a lot of them are already in the queue, ready to go, and are already happening. Um, And as well as a host of other restrictions could limit where, by whom, and under what conditions abortion can be provided. So, um, everything from consent to privacy to basic healthcare. It's an absolute dog's breakfast. And, you know, we are very conscious that this is a USA decision, but there is no avoiding that the ripple effects are going to hit us pretty hard in Australia. So we thought we would have a little bit of a chat about it. Yeah, Um, Ro, I think
2: I've been just glued to the news coming from the States because it was something that was really disappointing to see happen. But also it raised the issue of um, how so many people... Think that privacy is an esoteric thing that's really nice to have, but sometimes think that it doesn't have practical implications for how they live their life. And I thought this really brought to bear, you know, how fundamental a right privacy is, and that when you think about enforcement of this law, and you know, the changes of these laws and how you know it will probably ripple through a bunch of things, um, privacy's core of um, how so many of those will land on individuals mm. and how, how they'll experience the changes.
1: Uh, well, I think particularly when you've got states that had trigger laws ready to go um, with things like get a $10,000 reward for dobbing in anyone you suspect of having any involvement, whether they're a provider, a patient or even someone who drove a person to an appointment, putting bounties on, on people's heads over I'm a suspicion. I'm really going to have trouble mm. focusing
2: on the tech aspect of this, yeah. um, this law change because it's pretty heinous, but I will try. And and when you bring up that sort of spot, um, a potential, you know, abortee, mm. a potential lawbreaker sort of thing, it does make me think, well, what sort of technologies will people be using to do that? Exactly. How will they, they be capturing evidence? And one of the things that has come up has been people's search history. So, how might various people with law enforcement roles? But you would start to think, how would people who have access to, you know, search history within a company, how might they be able to use that information to um, to incriminate people? We know that Google routinely shares private user information with law enforcement agencies. Um, and that's even without a warrant. Now, it varies tremendously around the world, mm. the different regimes that people have put in around that, trying to, to eke out some protections for people. But the sort of information they share can include search terms. It can include, you know, the the click history of, like, what you go, your browser history. It's like they did this and then they definitely clicked on that. And we know that because we have Google Ads on that page, so we know that they hit that. Yeah. You know. So it could be a lot of information. And it could be go down to the, the level of the clinic that they get to or the people who they're trying to order, you know, abortion pills off or something like that. So there's just so many ways in which people might not be able to trust the privacy of um, of what they're trying to do and they could be looking for information and not have broken up the law at any at any stage mm. and um, still potentially be incriminated.
3: Yeah, exactly, yeah. because they could also, you know, people have also started talking about home remedies and things like that. Um, which are dangerous and not medically safe or anything. But, you know, trying to take secure routes um, could lead to more danger as well. And I think that there's also less obvious ones but ones that have been talked about too around um, fitness trackers and things like that, so things that track your heart rate or your amount of activity or your period, um and how those can be used as signs that someone is pregnant they might not even be pregnant they might have gotten something else or you know just a change in their routine um yeah is your temperature raised
2: because you have a fever or because you're pregnant Mm, Someone yeah. on the news. <laughs> yeah. 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 Even- it was interesting to see that flurry of people posting about delete your period tracker app now because yeah. you don't know who's going to subpoena that.
3: Yeah, but also the flurry of open source, non data collecting. Any data that it does collect stays on your phone. Um, there's heaps of them around. You know, you can now just uh, search on Twitter you know, and add to your search history, Um, (laughs) open source period trackers or even open source fitness trackers. And there are different fitness trackers for different watches that sync with your phone and things like that, Um, that, you know, you can see really plainly that it's not keeping any data. Um, Yeah. Mm. I think that, you know, that, it does segue a little bit into just all of the kind of false pregnancies and false abortions that can now be criminalised. Yeah. yeah, that's
2: so true. Um, it's It's been legislated as if it's such a black and white area and yet women and people with lived experience of, you know, having women's parts um, definitely express how changeable you know the the hormonal states can be and and how you know even knowing whether you're pregnant can take a long time um it was already quite restrictive in some states how quickly you know you had to get an abortion if you wanted one Mm. Um, this has sort of thrown all of that out the window if people are going to have to leave a state to get help suddenly you've introduced all of these extra logistical issues so first Mm. of all You might want to be using these things so that you have a heads up and you have a better sense of when you might be pregnant or not Um, and yet that's introducing a risk into your life about the privacy of that information. And then you might want to travel to get help with your situation and this opens the door to location data. Now, so many things that we use are tracking our location. Um, We've got our phones that everyone's tied to but also, you know, Fitness devices can do it, um, some of them. You know, different sorts of smartwatches can do it. Um, There's various sorts of um, equipment that people use in different sort of sporting hobbies, you know, that have location data as well. So if you're an avid angler, you know, you've got all this sort of Fishing location data, but, you know, are you actually just trying to get across the state border? Who knows? Like, (laughs) it's so, that's actually, it's so integrated, you know, it's in your car, you know, that's being tracked in so many cases. To actually move around and not have your location data tracked is really difficult. To add to that, after the fact, we've seen a real increase in, like, geofence warrants. So, for example, a crime happens in a location, and um, retroactively, law enforcement agencies will go and look at which, which um, devices were pinging in that zone around the time of the crime. If you extend that to you know, a border close to an abortion clinic or you know, some sort of health services place or whatever, you already start to narrow down and create these lists of targeted people who might have an interest in you know, particular um, healthcare. And we can see how quickly this cascades and this scales and how problematic this is starting to get
1: yeah. Uh, and it's also not um strictly related to, for example, law enforcement getting a warrant or someone dobbing you in and so they're gathering evidence in order to, you know, prosecute you or go after you. Um in a number of countries, homicide is the number one cause of death for pregnant women. And it is their partners, their their boyfriends, their husbands, what have you. And we know that in a huge volume of domestic violence um, cases that these, um, you know, geolocating tools, whether it is phones, all that kind of things, they are already being abused in order to enact control and all those kinds of things. So when there's, um, you know an unexpected increase in pregnancies and, um, you know, men who are objecting to their partners being pregnant in this particular context, the risk of homicide goes up as well and the privacy um, and the locator tracking is just as critical. It doesn't necessarily need to go for a bench warrant. It can be... You know the person you're living with, or you know an immediate family member, which is you know a whole other layer of concern. Yeah,
2: I guess that's where it gets beyond even Roe versus Wade and just general you know privacy and good practices and and why we need this and why it's so important. Um, I do want to call out for any any people listening, if this if this topic is bringing up issues of concern for you and you want to speak to someone, um, you can call one eight hundred respect. Um, or Lifeline on uh, Lifelines on one three one 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 four, and uh, just make sure you talk to someone. There's plenty of people who can help um, help talk through some of the the really problematic um, issues here. Absolutely. Um, if um, we had
3: a mo- Oh, sorry. No, you go. <laughs> um, I also wanted to touch on how employers have been reacting over in the US because that's been pretty um, pretty aligned with large software companies like Microsoft, et cetera, as well as games companies um, like Bethesda and Blizzard and things like that. And um, previously to this, you know, we we know um, for a fact that Roe v. Wade was also supported by right-wing extremists and feminists, um, so-called feminists who are anti-trans and trans-exclusionary, and... Previously, companies have been saying, okay, we'll send you to a different state, you know, for your um, gender affirmation surgery and now they're being like, all right, we'll send you to another state for your abortion um, and because this is a healthcare issue and in the US
1: your employer is responsible for your health It's entwined.
3: Exactly. Yeah. So, so privatising, you know,
2: the support and increasing the gaps between the, the can's and the cannots.
3: Yeah, mm, and, and so now you over there's the border. another layer of abuse and power and how these companies keep those communications or, you know, what kind of HR deal the employee has to go through or whether... You can access um, these
2: health services if you work for us for the next 12 months. Exactly. Oh, and then, you know, contractors
3: dialed. or remote workers going to be eligible. Um, you know, do these... Employers have legal teams ready for when they get the subpoena or warrant or whatever. And fundamentally, is this
2: how we want our society to work? Mm. You know, do we want corporations to have to decide what their purpose and values are, and then how to support that through these sort of horror laws? Which, you know, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm great that they're finding their their values and sort of sticking by them, and. The gaps that that leaves in society, the fragmentation that it creates, when these sort of things should be accepted and standard, um, it's it's really concerning.
1: Drupula. We've been chatting about uh, the various um, implications on the Roe v Wade handout because we're a tech show. We have been focusing on the uh, everything from the privacy to the security implications on it. So we're going to um, crack the conversation open again. Um, there's been some interesting stuff afoot on the Twitterverse talking about it. Yeah,
2: there certainly has. Um, there is a lady named Eva Galperin, who is the Director of Cybersecurity at the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Very worth following if you're interested in any digital rights issues, but tweeted um, a whole thread in the wake of this decision. And one thing that really struck me was the sentence, the difference between now and the last time that abortion was illegal in the United States is that we live in an era of unprecedented digital surveillance. so that raises the question, you know, we, we've spoken about, you know, some of the ways that we are surveilled by our apps, by our search history, you know, the information that can be captured with our location data, things that they can happen after the fact of warrants. But what can companies do to protect their customers? Suddenly it's introducing a whole range of risks on that front. Um, and the EFF put an article out on exactly that topic did either of you have a chance to have a peek at this um, this information?
1: Not as in-depth as I'd like to, no. All right, that's okay. Yeah. Um,
2: it had a cute uh, baseball analogy in the title, which I always appreciate. If you build it, they will come. So don't build it, don't keep it. Dismantle what you can and keep it secure. <laughs> yeah, I really tongue. love
3: that, you it's know, right? especially like kind of in the startup space that a lot of us exist in, where it's like, you know, move fast and break things. And there was a show on Triple R, you know, that talked about, well, if you're dealing, was that one of our shows? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, if you're dealing with marginalized people, then actually you got to take the time. Um, yeah, you haven't got the luxury
2: of letting that data slip out and being responsible for harm happening to people who you've said that you care about. Yeah. Yeah, Um, there's there's brilliant principles in the article. It's really worth looking it up. But um, I might break down the eight points that they have relatively briefly. But one of the things is like, you know, do you have to know who your who your users are? Maybe allow people to use your service pseudonymously. Oh god, I have so much trouble saying that word. Um, That was perfect. Yeah, I'll check later. Um, (laughs) The the next thing is stop behavioural tracking. You know, don't do it or if you have to do it, let users opt in first, not have to know about it and then opt out. So it's just really an ethical approach to to tracking. Let them know um, and modify data that's collected about them um, and give them the option not to be collected on. Next, these are all just really good principles. Check your data retention policy. You know, are you only collecting what you need? Are you getting rid of it when the need, you know, ends? Um, and actually our, our privacy laws in Australia are really great on this front in terms of what they require of companies to do and uh, we expect those privacy laws only to be tightening in the near future because um, there's a review going on. Mm. So that's, that's really promising. Um, encrypt data when it's in transit. This is starting to get a bit more technical, um, but once again just basic good practices. Enable end-to-end encryption by default. Um, it's very closely related. Don't allow your app to become a location mine. So don't mm. become a target that's collecting all this data that becomes a bit of a honeypot that's attractive for people to attack and try and try and get everything from. Um, don't share the data you collect more than necessary. So watch out for those tricky third-party agreements and being able to pass things on, for example, to James and the Wine Group um, because you've entered a competition only work of trusted embedded partners and finally where possible make it interoperable Um, so it's maybe a third party in one case can do a better job at protecting privacy than you can so maybe you outsource you know the privacy requirement of your app to a really solid third party who's going to do a great job and has the scale to do it Um, that's a really interesting point actually
1: yeah, and it's it's fair to say, like, while there's definitely some really, really um, intelligent, clever, useful, um, you know, companies out there really using their data um, that they collect to to do better, to perform better, to serve their customers better. There are so many brands out there, so many businesses out there that don't really know what to do with their data, that uh, mm. it's, it's wasted data. So they are collecting stuff. They don't know how to interpret or they can't do anything with it. They don't know how to use it. Just because you can collect it doesn't mean you should.
2: And it's actually against the privacy laws in Australia to do so. Mm. You know, you need to be able to answer those questions about why you're asking for that data. But, as we've said, in the startup space, you know, sometimes people don't have their own office of general counsel. You know, <laughs> it's like where are they getting their legal advice from? They might be getting form form-based advice based on a few precedents.
3: Mm. And I think, you know, some of these data points that people collect that they then do nothing with, you know, include things like gender and race, which are going to go towards, you know, who is policed more. It's going to be people who identify as women who are going to be policed more and it's going to be marginalised races who are going to be policed more on this also. Oh, absolutely. So why keep that data? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So um, at the moment where it's 7.50 and we're talking on Bite Into It about, obviously we're talking about data and the holding of it and the use of it, and it is in the context of the Roe v uh, Wade finding that's been handed down and, you know, what the terrible risks there are to women, and we've been um, talking about that on the show.
0: Triple R.
3: So, we have a useful tool of the week that we want to chat about, and I love this new segment. Um, so, Corey Dr. Al recently tweeted a range of browser extensions he uses to tailor his online experience for enhanced privacy and usability, and I reckon if you've been listening to our show long enough, you'll know about Privacy Badger. That's something that the Digital Rights Watch um uses or talks about a lot and one that i like a lot that has recently been breaking me paying for anything um so i'll yeah, i do i report you... every yeah i yeah. report every website and i'm like oh it's breaking mm. making it hard for me to pay for things but anyway this um one that where we want to highlight is called consent o and what this does is detect any of these um pop-ups that have like do you consent to uh, all of these cookies or all of these different kinds of things and tries to fill it out for you with the least amount of data being taken I love Um, it there's so
2: many times they're written in a flip-flop kind of way and you have to actually concentrate to click the right
3: thing absolutely and I have noticed actually that some of them now say have the least amount of of data, and I like yeah. that. I don't know if that's a new law somewhere, but I really like that one. Um, and on their site, um, Consentomatic, uh, they talk about these kinds of dark patterns that we're probably very used to online. Um, you know, things where there's like a sign up button instead of a take me to the downloads button, or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this should help with filling out those cookies. Very cool. And uh, that
2: one's available for Chrome, Firefox, Safari, and Edge for desktop and Safari for mobile. So they've really done their work. accessible. Nice. I'm going to get it. Accessible. Yeah. Hey, we wanted to leave you a bit of happiness because we've covered a lot of darkness <laughs> tonight. Uh, if you are on Twitter... Uh, we can all get sucked in, but you might give a follow to at doom underscore bot It is a doom scrolling reminder bot so that you catch yourself if you're in the middle of doom scrolling and it might redirect you and suggest a healthier behavior and just check in and make sure that you know you're consciously doing what you're doing so it's a it's a brilliant little um account and uh, might give you a bit of relief
1: I'm going to get that too <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's so good it's so good it'll be like. Ro, did you really mean to be scrolling for the last hour? You know, you deserve a good time too. Go, go, you know. Pour yourself a glass of water
1: or whatever. Oh, fancy having a good time. I was, um, you know, chatting to Vanessa before the show. Uh, I've gone to a lot of trouble over the last decade to curate my Twitter feed. So it's full of cute, fluffy animals and pictures of birds and good news. And um, I'm afraid over the last week or so, it's just been Doom Scroll Central. So I'm a little bit obsessed with this fabulous, fabulous app. So, uh, yes, that's at Doomscroll underscore bot, if anyone else wants to get on the bandwagon. So, we've been biting into it. Thank you so much, Vanessa and Mays, for um, Skyping on in tonight. Thanks for driving this ship. Oh, yes. Ha- happy, happy to do it, happy to be here. So, as always, we want to um, thank our fabulous talks producer, Elizabeth McCarthy, and podcaster, Carrie Smythe. There's a huge team of absolutely legendary people that make the Triple R wheels turn, and, and we love them all. Good night, everyone. Good night. <laughs> night.